0: Hi everyone. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes,
1: technology, BIM, and beer. Uh
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brewing with BIM. I'm Joe Whitney, and as always, with me is Dave Campbell. What's going on, Dave? Hey, Joe. Another beautiful day in the BIM world. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Speaking of the uh, beautiful BIM world, we have uh, Hannes here with us. Hannes is with uh, BIM Squared. Uh, You guys are doing some cool stuff, man. Uh, Say hi to the um, BWB fandom, I guess.
2: Thank you, Joe. I'm just here in Black Forest, and I'm very curious what we
3: will talk about today.
0: Oh, uh, well, we're, obviously we're going to talk about you. Um, uh, Black Forest, for you guys that don't know, that's uh, Germany, right? I uh, want to make sure I'm not skewing it based on your your, your language in our previous conversation. Um, correct?
3: Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely right. It's in the south of Germany.
0: Well, it sounds beautiful. Um, it just brings back... Um, pictures that a friend of mine sent me when he was stationed in Germany for the military and uh, it's, it was absolutely gorgeous um, but you have a lot to live up to man so this this podcast is Brewing with BIM um, you know there's a little bit of brewing here are you, uh, are you do you have a beer in front of you by chance of course
3: here oh. is a Friday afternoon so I'm, I'm absolutely ready for a beer
0: awesome awesome yeah there's about a six hour time difference between us um, so I've got I've to gotta, uh, pace myself on uh, on what I'm drinking here. But uh, what kind of beer are you drinking?
2: Oh, I'm drinking a very local beer. It's called
3: Hochdorfer, which is like a small brewery uh, here from the Black Forest. That,
0: that's crazy. I would have never thought about the craft brew scene in Germany. I always think about like, you know, Hogarten and, and the big names. But uh, yeah, I guess you guys probably have uh, a phenomenal craft beer scene.
3: Yes, there are. Even if I think it's more located in the uh, U.S., but it's still coming over. I mean, obviously, the breweries are over 100 years old here, but yeah, not so much associated with the term craft beer. This is coming now from the U.S. over.
0: Well, it's still exciting, man. Very much so. Um, Well, you know, for all of our fans out there, I want to just give a little backstory here. Uh, Hannes, uh, you had a, a young lady with your company that had reached out, um, you know, asking, you know, wanting to know more about the podcast and to be on it. I guess I'd listen to an episode and uh, we, we've got quite a few tech companies that come on and talk about their um, plugins and their doodads and whatnot. And uh, I don't think I quite come across your company just yet. Uh, you guys being two years old and, uh, you know, across across the pond, as they say. Um, You know, as I dove in and you guys are doing some amazing things. You guys have a a, a mission to digitize um, real estate industry and construction. You've got plugins for Revit. Um, In our previous conversation, we talked about Dynamo and scripting and and just uh, really adding more powerful functionality into the programs that doesn't exist today. Uh, You guys being only two years old, um, you guys seem to have be coming a a long way. Uh, I'd love to just hear a, a quick backstory on your on your journey.
3: Uh, Of course, sure. So um, our core was um, out of a Formwork contractor, and uh, this is where we origin, but then we were developing Revit plugins before inside this uh, Formwork contractor, and we decided to move out to access uh, further customers to be a little bit more flexible in how we approach things. And out of this um, outsourcing process, basically from this IT engineering department, uh, we were growing extremely. We built up our own resources in development, and we are still our still main focus is like on the temporary construction. The meaning is uh, it's often concerned like um, with formwork and scaffolding, but but it's it, it goes beyond that because usually um, people think about architecture, structural engineer, MEPs. Um, But the temporary construction, so what happens before, like in this short period of construction before the long life cycle starts, this is often uh, not sophisticated considered, at least in our view, uh, in the BIM world. And this is where we want to tackle and provide possibilities for this temporary construction, such as formwork.
1: Yes, sir. Now I've seen, you know, that as as the point that you made there, We've seen that it has not been that sophisticated in the past. Even here, we're not seeing a lot of, you know, companies or or, or firms focus on the temporary, such as like the form work that you said. Um, but what we're finding is integrating that into the BIM process is very helpful for different companies in planning, not only thinking about what forms you have, but what forms are out on which site, you know, planning for, okay, we have this new project coming up. We need to go ahead and, and schedule and make sure that, you know, the formwork on this project is poured correctly, but also <clears throat> how we can plan to take that on to the next site. You know, I, I think that's a very beneficial thing to, to get into, but also I would say, you know, we've, we've seen quite a bit in terms of concrete. Joey and I have got into, you know, scanning, BIM, you name it. And we're finding a lot of benefits for the construction or concrete industry within BIM in terms of not just planning, but make sure things are uh, according to spec, right? Making sure that that formwork is good so that when that slab is poured in, it's straight, you know, there's not any curves, things like that, but also the deflection of the actual concrete itself, right? The actual flatness of it, things like that. A lot of that needs to be planned and thought about because moving forward, you know, we have a lot of these companies who require uh, flatness down to a certain level, or they want to know, okay, I laid my PT cables down I put tension on them. We're going to go ahead and pour the deck. And if something moves in any way, it can throw off a lot of the project. So we want to know not only what could potentially fail, how we would get around it if it does.
0: Well, that and just knowing the proper placement of the formwork in relation to the um, to the model, right? Uh, you were mm-hmm. saying earlier the verification of, of it. So like just making sure the formwork is actually placed in the right position as opposed to the 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 model so i mean maybe that's something to think about in the future like just doing some kind of verification where we can tie it back but on your on your end um Hannes, you are primarily looking to like what is it just do the modeling aspect of it and add the the, the parametric families and all that sort of stuff or is there you know w- what is the the main benefit i think uh beyond the parametric modeling
3: so that that's a pretty great question um, because uh, right now it is mainly um, the parametric modeling. So we're using the Revit API, the interface, to like um, apply our uh, plugin within this um, within this Revit environment in like a closed BIM approaches or even even open BIM. However, um, in our opinion, this is just the basis. We need to basic good model we need like a process planning within the model we need simulations in the model we need like a, a coast uh planning related to to our temporary construction as you quickly mentioned uh, david and then if we have this model established we have all the potentials uh, that that you just mentioned david we, we can uh, having have additional uh, sensors uh, to, to control concrete pressure and all these fantastic solutions uh, that are already out there or that are continuously in development by other corporations. And um, I think this is pretty great, but for me, the, the modeling process is still the basis for like all the other technology because the formwork uh, process is, is very, very complex. It's often underestimated, but pretty complex and therefore need a planning first, and then we can like also have this Controlling technologies later on during the construction phase.
0: Yes, sir. I, I wrote, I, oh, go ahead, Joe. I was just going to say I, I know a few fir- firms that do formwork modeling. Like they, they're uh, uh, self-forming, self-performing GC that does you know concrete or something like that. So they already had a modeling team per se, and um, they'll do a like very minor formwork modeling. It just seems um, not very intuitive inside of the program itself. Um, it, requires a lot of family creation and uh i feel like uh you know having something out of the box that that you know is a one click to bim as they say is is uh, going to be pretty powerful and that said you know you're right the model is the start of it all and and dave and i always used to like the the hashtag uh, bim is more than models to quote our friend johan um but you know it, it does start with the model you need that information in the model Whether it's just geometry or, you know, some parametric information with it as well, uh, attributes, what have you, formulas, functions, like all that feeds downstream and and there's a lot of power in that. Um, I think we're only scratching the surface. Uh, Obviously, the U.S. is a little bit behind in the BIM world, but uh, I hope that uh, we'll catch up and the uh, creativity and and all that stuff that comes out of the chaos is going to be beautiful.
1: Yeah, and I, I I'd like to add just a little bit to that, Joe. I mean, I I've seen you know with the um with with Europe and the BIM standards that they have. I've seen a lot of people you know here in the U.S. We've been trying to figure out the the BIM standardization. You know, still here in the U.S. BIM is still um, I don't want to say in its infancy phase. It's it's probably in its teenage phase, I guess. You know, we're seeing a lot of people starting to push to BIM and wondering how it's going to be useful for their company. Um, We're starting to see more complex jobs come through with, um, I would say, complex formwork that's needed, right, to plan this job out. But as we're seeing the push go more and more into BIM, the things like that people don't typically think about, you know, just as you're talking with the formwork itself. Being able to utilize that for your planning, for your design process, and knowing that we have the right formwork built in, that you have different parametric models or different parametric families, the different types of formwork that are needed. Because a lot of people also don't think about that in the sense of, you know, if you're using a thinner type of formwork and you put a big slab on there or a lot of pressure on that slab, it's something that can push out and, you know, essentially – deviate from the original design conditions that we had in mind. So a lot of this I'm I'm seeing is is very beneficial, the more that we can push into BIM, again, kind of pushing into the planning and scheduling kind of phase, but also making sure that our designs are staying according to the intent, which is a huge piece, especially for concrete, because we know if concrete moves, it can throw throw off your entire project because it all starts from the ground up. And you got to go from that foundation up so if the foundation is off i mean that can throw your whole project off
3: absolutely yes i totally agree with uh, both of you even if i'm not sure if we are in germany too advanced about building information modeling we are also like trying to yeah trying certain approaches especially the big contractors are i, I would say quite the once but the holistic industry level i think it's still lacking um compared to scandinavia or maybe also the uh, uk so um i guess we are not there where we want to be but we we try to improve ourselves
0: that's an interesting idea though like um everybody getting on a standard level of bim whether that's the eu the uk standard you know somebody's australia seems to be pretty far along um with implementation you know from the government sponsorship and, and pretty much all their stuff I don't know. I, I think I'd maybe like to see a good national or a good, uh, worldwide base level of BIM global. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, we're starting to see yeah, IFC yeah. here, you know, I, I see a little bit more standardization, but my problem with, st- with IFC is that you don't have enough information in that model to really start pulling the metadata from that model and be able to use it for scheduling, well, you know, breaking it down, like exploding that model it's very difficult to use that yes it's great for visualization knowing what's there you can start using it for aggregation as well as you know like clash detection and things like that the coordination but it's so much more than that bim is you know as we say it's more than more than just a model it's more than just visualization of it it goes down to i mean so much more into the planning scheduling as well as as we were kind of saying earlier, knowing what's going on, whether you're inputting sensors to know what's going on with that concrete, the different pressure types of concrete you're using, there's a lot of information that goes into that and a lot of planning that goes into pouring a slab. You know, I've worked in the, the, the carpenters union. I did some concrete work overseas. And a lot of times, especially with smaller companies, you just go in with these default forms, you know, maybe plywood with uh, wood on the back that you're na- that you're hammering down, or maybe you do have some nice fancy metal ones that you can kind of put in. But it's, it's usually you're doing it there in the field. Like you're using the experience of the, the supervisors, of the people who've been doing it for a while, to essentially go through it and place these forms. And if you get someone newer like me, an apprentice, that doesn't really know what I'm doing with it, yeah, I'm going to set them up, but... I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. If we can look at a plan, look at that metadata from that model or that the, the plan sheets even to know why we're putting here, what's going there, it's going to give everyone in that, the project, even, you know, as down to the concrete to know exactly what's going on and why they're putting things there the way they are, why they need to be there.
2: Yeah. Now, uh, abso- absolutely. Oh, go ahead. Yes. oh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, I just want to say I totally agree with you maybe as a, as a background story, we were also struggling with IFC because um, like a half year ago, we weren't able to place the formwork automatically on IFC walls. We were just able to place them on Revit. And why is that the case? Because we started like to use uh, these um, parameters from the Revit wall um, regarding the thickness and height and everything. Um, But now with the IFC, we can't can't ensure what what really is coming with the IFC model. And so we needed to change the algorithm to really detect the geometry of of the walls, which is of course a bigger effort. And of course um, it maybe affect the performance, but at least now we are able to like form IFC, which is a a quite big thing. It's sad that it's not not working out with the uh, alphanumeric parameters Uh, like within these families of of wall, but um, finally, uh, I mean, we were able to to utilize IFC. I think that's a very crucial point in our like heterogeneous, uh, uh, like CAD environment or BIM environment that we are currently having, and uh, I I think we we, we can't agree on, on a product so soon, so this is why we need to be able to access, like, the different standards to exactly apply the processes that you just mentioned, David.
0: Have you looked at utilizing uh, BCF file formats? They're uh, they're round-trippable. You can go into multiple tools. Uh, I don't know the implications of, you know, working with uh, it, with your, your technology, but uh, it might prove to be more beneficial than an IFC in the long run. I'm not sure. Um, just uh, throwing that out there for food for thought.
2: Um, no, no, really, it's not. It's not that common in our in our domain where we are with the general contractors. Um, I'm not sure if it's a it's a European thing or if this is rather into like the facility management direction where where they work a lot with IFC, but uh, not IFC uh, BCF. But so far, I mean, the main inputs are Revit and uh, IFC in in the market, aside from like uh, AutoCAD and um, like PDF drawings.
0: So with BCF, um, it's an export out of, say, Revit that you can move to other applications and bring back into Revit. unlike IFC where it's a it's an export it's something that you can actually re-import back into your drawings and all the data and all that sort of stuff with it so people can make changes and I don't know I, I've it's come up quite a bit a lot uh quite a bit with um uh there's this uh young lady uh in Portland uh Fanny Angeles who's a phenomenal BIM wizard um uh out of Portland Oregon and she got me turned on the BCFs and it it, it was an eye opener to see like, hey, this actually already exists. It's there. Not a lot of people use it, though. And it uh, might be something just a little more powerful than an IFC, especially as we still argue over IFC uh, interoperability between different programs and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't seem to be as um, it's a widely adopted, but not widely adopted between all the applications um, evenly. OK, yeah,
2: so it's probably more stable than than IFC regarding like geometry and other parameters?
0: Yeah, it might be worth checking into. Um, you know, after this podcast, I'll follow up and shoot you some more information about it. But uh it's 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 in the file already. It's it's an export. It's it's not a big deal. Um just see if it you know might have some more powerful tools to you. You mentioned, you know, the parameters don't work out for you quite as well with an IFC. Um I don't know anything about dynamo and IFCs or anything like that, but is there Uh, Any nodes available or is it just all locked out because the geometry doesn't come through quite as well?
2: Well, we we not really work with Dynamo so much. We are utilizing uh, usually the Revit API directly because Mm -hmm. um, this enables us uh, to have uh, wider options and also of course to protect our algorithms, our codes, uh, our business model, because as you know, Dynamo is, is always open to everyone. Correct. And, yeah. Uh, so kind of, this is why I'm not so expert in the Dynamo.
0: No, no worries. Uh, Dave and I dabble. We don't get into it too much, but yeah, uh, I'm like we're fascinated by what people create, but at the end of the day, we're like that takes too much time. I'd rather yeah. pay a developer <laughs> yeah. for the IP there. Uh, so
1: I, I Hans, I see on on your um on your website there that you you guys do a little bit of of course construction, but also real estate. So this is one thing I've been curious about. You know, we've been seeing some I would say form of BIM integrated here into the U.S. in terms of like scanning with Matterport to show you know or help visualize houses that they're selling. How how does your product integrate with the real estate?
2: Well uh, actually we are not too much in the real estate sector to be honest. Um, I mean we applied uh, for some um, customers some visualizations but this is not Going beyond the normal, I would I would say. Um, okay. So I, is, I, I don't want to oversell sell it or something. <laughs> okay.
1: So is it is it more for like when you get the big residential houses that are complex with the concrete like you know I did one in um, Michigan uh, by Lake Michigan and uh, they the person actually wanted it built into a sand dune um so it, it took you know special form work we had icfs that we had to bring out there sand is not obviously the, the most stable element that we can put something on so we had to come up with some interesting ideas there is it is it more you're seeing it there
2: uh, yes absolutely so right now our focus is definitely on the formwork or in general uh the temporary construction um so usually we are a part of a team that, uh, at least in the in this piloting project, we are part of a team focused on the visualization, on the renderings and everything. But within this of domain, and for for the for the stuff outside from this particular domain, there are usually uh, other peoples. But there is a, a lot of going on also, like with different uh, gaming engines, like Unity and. Um, also here in Europe, a lot of Unreal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we ha- we have a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of potential in terms of visualization. Even uh, as as you mentioned before, it's probably not for for uh, as engineers the brightest thing to do. The the visualization we are more interested about, like yeah, the the technologic perspective mm-hmm. that that we can get like out of like yeah. Yeah, heck yeah, smart heck
0: we love Unreal. Uh, the Twin Motion engine is is phenomenal. The it hasn't been as widely adopted over here just yet, but it's pre, it's pretty cool stuff. Uh, we love the visualization tools that are coming out. Um,
2: are you doing a lot of Unreal?
0: Uh, Dave and I aren't in production. Uh, not anymore. Not in a while. But uh, do a lot of consulting on projects and stuff like that. Our customers use it. Um, and we get connected with uh, people at Unreal who um, you know, we collaborate a bit with, but, uh, I don't get to see myself as much. Yeah. And I've seen, I've been involved a little bit
1: with them here and there just because I I did a lot of rendering projects in my previous life. Um, and when I was doing a lot of architecture and, you know, you find, I don't know, there's so many different tools out there, obviously like Enscape. Enscape is a great, um, addition for rendering specific. Cause I mean, you know, as much as I, as I, um, as I was kind of Pushing it back, their visualization is a very important feature, not just for, you know, knowing what materials are there, making sure everything looks right, but also in terms of an engineer's perspective, being able to visualize how something comes together, how it's going to sit, how the site goes around it, you know, what kind of, um, I would say, forces that we could potentially have. Uh, just like with sand, we know that it could potentially move. We want to solidify this, make sure it's not going to drop out from underneath and and crack our slab or anything like that. Um, It is a very, very important thing for construction, for BIM in general, to be able to visualize those conditions uh, going in. Now, I did have a question, another question for you, Hans. Like, and this is just because of my, uh, somewhat of my ignorance here in in that portion of the industry. Like uh, I, I, you know, when I went out and I was building, you know, concrete or foundations, we would have typical forms that, you know, we use almost every job. We bring them in depending on the size of the slab, things like that. But my curiosity here is, do you find that there's a lot of custom or some custom like fabrication for these formworks when you get, you know, these bigger buildings or these complex homes Um, Are you finding that there's a need for the fabrication kind of or creation of, you know, those different types of forms?
2: Um, Absolutely, yes. Of course, this is pretty uh, project dependent um, because there is a lot of there are a lot of projects that are big and simple. Um, So, of course, we don't have this case here What we are having in like the European market a lot. And I'm not sure if this is so much affected uh, also in the U.S. market is uh, fair face concrete the so architects are crazy here uh, in in Europe about uh, fair face concrete and of course uh, this comes mostly with like also fancy shapes and therefore um, there is a lot of uh, customized um, formwork uh, requested which of course benefits from a 3D planning uh, a lot yeah yes, there's
0: sir. there's definitely quite a bit of the fair face concrete here um, uh, I, I don't know how many projects i under if it's quite as uh, adopted uh, over here as it is over in germany or the eu and whatnot but i don't know i think it's one of the cooler concepts it's an easy way to create uh an architectural actually pretty much a low-cost way to create architecture you know uh, uh put your stamp on it i guess rather uh in, in a really you're making it appealing right? You're making it visually appealing,
1: which is a big thing of architecture. You want to make sure that your building is beautiful. It's a piece of art, right? You You don't want ugly concrete in there.
0: You you and I grew, uh, we were, spent quite a bit of time in the Pacific Northwest before relocating. And um, one of the cool things that they really did in the the Pacific Northwest of the United States was that um, uh, architectural, uh, you know, uh, making structural elements architectural like this structural element is very beautiful so if you've got a uh you know a concrete you know retaining wall or whatever and it's you know got all these geometric patterns in there you know that adds a little bit to it but i think in the pacific northwest a lot of it for us was uh mostly around like um clt like really high-end really nice uh cross laminated timber buildings uh, wooden structures, uh, really exposed structural elements that had a bit of architectural appeal. Uh, and they do a lot of this stuff with like historic renovations too, where they, you know, make the concrete and the old bricks stand out. But uh, I, I don't know. I think that's one of the coolest avenues for structures is that our architectural appeal. Oh, yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And this is where visualization jumps in again, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you want to see. That's another thing. A lot of times we don't think about, but when somebody's buying this building, I mean, you're looking at a big purchase, right? And when I go out and like I look at cars, I want to make sure that I have something that's visual, visually appealing. Even if I'm, let's say, building a car on the manufacturer's website or building a boat, things like that. I'm actually going through and looking at it. I want to visualize it before I make this purchase to know, hey, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And especially when you're going through the construction process, that owner likes to be essentially notified and they want to be able to visualize and see their building. But also, hey, I'm spending this much money on it. I want to make it beautiful. I want to make it what I want. So that visualization is key for that buy-in too.
0: Well, we uh I don't know if you ever did this, Dave, but I used to play uh I think it was Need for Speed Underground. Yeah. I oh, would yeah. just check out and design my cars nonstop because it was like the fun thing to do. I like to to you know make the visual thing and uh it was awesome. It's you know, one of the reasons why we get into cat is because we like to make 3D representations of things and tweak it and you know, extrude this and it, it uh it lends us to be a little bit creative. Uh even for me, I'm not a very creative person, but uh I I want people to see the work that I do, and I think um, uh, that that visualization, that rendering that you can create, uh, it, it's it is a piece of art at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree. Now, another piece that I would want to talk about because I was I was just thinking about it here a second ago. You know, as concrete and you know the slabs differ in size, the formwork, the foundation walls, everything. You know, we're, we're seeing obviously it's it's project specific, but my curiosity is. Um, In this sense, you know, we're taking the knowledge of those previous who have had the actual experience building and and knowing, okay, if this is a 3,500 PSF uh, slab, it's a four inch or six inch slab, I'm going to need this type of form. Or if this concrete wall is going this high, I'm going to need this height of form work. Um, I'm curious. are you guys providing some automation with that in terms of, you know, it knows what kind of slab this is or what kind of footing, what kind of foundation this is going to need? Is it is it providing like your, your product? Is it providing some automation there to tell you, OK, if it's this type of wall, you're going to need this type of form?
3: Um, yes, to a certain extent. Um, so all of this information uh, are stored uh, inside massive databases in the back end. Um, and according to like certain requirements, like wall thickness, slab thickness and stuff like that, it selects like certain um, anchors, for instance, or um, according to the wall height, it's, uh, it selects like a certain props. Uh, and of course, uh, it have then uh, attached the families that are inserted automatically, have attached uh, parameters with the article numbers. So out of that, we can generate then the maximum part list which is going into our enterprise resource uh, systems. So uh, all, all of that um, does does it do it automatically? However, we are not there that it like completely analyzes a building and select out of like equivalent uh, wall systems the best one.
2: Mm-hmm. That
3: that would be a stage that would go be beyond that. It is it, okay. rather associated with like certain articles that are selected automated. Uh, according to like the, the building requirements, but not to the holistic system itself. Well, that's, I think that's,
1: that's highly beneficial in itself, right? Utilizing, as I was saying there, that kind of knowledge that maybe some of the newer draftsmen coming up might not have and being able to create those assemblies, you know, we're seeing that as a huge, huge push in, you know, structural, but also MEP in terms of being able to spool and take, you know, create assemblies of all of our different runs and, with concrete even, we have this, uh what was it, that precast tab in, in Revit that if you knew that this was going to be a tilt wall or you knew this was going to be a prefabricated or precast um, concrete wall and, you know, it's going to be in like eight-foot chunks if we know what anchors that we need in it, what bolts or rebar, things like that that need to go inside of it. It's further assisting the actual design process itself and the construction process, right, because, again, we're seeing that gap still between design and constructability in the sense of those who are designing, like, let's say an architect, I can draw, you know, all of my foundation walls, the footings, the slab, everything like that. But do I know everything that needs to go inside of that? No. You know, I don't know exactly what rebar. I don't know what anchors. I don't know, you know, if we do break this up in eight foot or, you know, six foot chunks, how I would tie those walls together. But essentially, if we can start connecting that with automation, you're enabling, again, that kind of bridging that gap. There it is, Joe, take a, take a shot. Um, we're bridging that gap between the design and construction to further enable those teams so they're not having to go back, you know, the construction team having to go back and redetail things the way that they need it to be built. The more that we can help those teams, the more that we can push this process further along, the better for the project.
3: Absolutely, yes. And I think this is the key. Um... Because we are usually having this discussion um, that 2D is, in the perception of the people, more efficient than 3D modeling. And I think the possibility to overcome like this perception or maybe this changeover phase to shorten this changeover phase is optimization. Because there we have like in, in 3D like massive opportunities of course the output is nicer from like 3d bim model instead of 2d uh, but i think the true value comes also with the optimization and i guess this will be at some point uh, like in a broader view a corporate advantage for architecture firms um mep firms but also contractor that have these algorithms and can use them to to really have a, a more efficient design and so be being able to um, give more uh, efficient price efficient biddings to like projects
1: yeah definitely now Hans I know we've been we've been diving into like your product and kind of what you guys do how it's beneficial um, we also like to give our listeners a little bit of background on you so what um, where did your experience come from how did you get started in the industry
3: well I, I started my Profession as a draftsman, making making drafts, especially for, for infrastructure projects, and then I s- decided to move onwards uh, for um, civil engineering studies here in, in Stuttgart. Not sure if you're so aware of the geography uh, in Germany. Stuttgart is where Mercedes-Benz and Porsche uh, is from, and uh, then I'm go- I, I was going further to to Liverpool um studying uh, an mba um yeah also awesome city awesome beer as well <laughs> they they're having also great uh, craft scene so so
0: fast cars and good beer i'm sold let's go yeah right <laughs>
3: <laughs> <That> sounds great <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah uh, and this is basically where, where we arrived here and yeah uh, right now, I, I started continuing researching about this topic, so I, I'm doing a DBA, a, doctor's or a Doctor of Business Administration uh, in Liverpool, unfortunately uh, very remotely, so I, I'm not benefiting from the good beer in Liverpool too much.
1: Yeah, yeah, COVID is, has pushed a lot of us uh, to the remote. I mean, I'm finding that nowadays, you know, because of COVID, because of the push to remote, we are seeing... A lot of different companies come out, like Teams just brought in the um, the transcript feature, you know, uh, they're sharing screens. You know, we're seeing the ACC or that construction cloud enabling teams to work from anywhere. We're seeing a lot of um, adaptation of that because of the force for remote work, you know, but well, obviously it's never going to be as good as in-person.
0: Well, COVID brings up an interesting standpoint, uh, not just the remote aspect, but the effects on supply chain and supply chain management. Yeah. Um, is this something you guys are looking at with your software? Uh,
2: absolutely. Yes. So we, we are, uh, of course, we are part of the supply chain. Um, Homework is part of the supply chain as well as a certain material. And we are thinking about new ways how to incorporate this supply chain management because supply chain management is all about like the flow of information, the flow of products. Um, and of course, also the cash flow that is, 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 is going back. And those are super interesting topic. And I think this is probably also one of the cores uh, of our um, software to really get the holistic supply chain embedded inside this building life cycle. Because as I said before, it's rather focused on MEP, architect, structural engineer. And we really want to give the suppliers also a platform where they can, like, provide their information efficiently and, of course, integrate them inside the lifecycle.
0: There, there, I don't know if this has any uh, bearing on on the concrete side, but there is a, an initiative. I'm blanking on the project right now. It's a, a beta project with Autodesk where manufacturers, not necessarily suppliers, but manufacturers of products are uh, moving to the cloud, this new cloud platform, I think primarily its focus is MEP, unfortunately, but uh, um, like there's this initiative there where, where they're going to be not necessarily tracking quantities or anything like that, but making more powerful, robust families with specific uh, information in them and you know going back to costing and, and uh, maybe even a little bit of uh, labor rates for installation, I guess, uh, tweakable fields, that sort of stuff. But uh, it'd be interesting to You know see uh something like that be a little bit more broadened to other other disciplines such as uh, structural Mm -hmm. and then oh sorry go ahead hans
2: oh yeah uh, it sounds Mm -hmm. sounds pretty awesome i mean obviously the formwork is not so important for the life cycle because it's remained temporary what is instead important for the life cycle are uh, temporary construction related to scaffolds, because with the scaffolding we are usually doing maintenance every five to ten years and so it's an it's an easy pull like from an existing model that just needs to be referenced in the current building model um, so those are interesting applications that are interlinked also kind of with the with the MEP like if you're thinking of productions and uh, and, well, and stuff like that
0: well, scaffolding has other implications too such as safety and that's a big big one when we when we talk about scaffolding is, um you know attachment you know how how well constructed that sort of stuff um i've seen some pretty piss poor my pardon the expression uh uh scaffolding uh makeshift scaffolding rather because certain scaffolding wasn't available so being able mm-hmm. to track that further downstream for things like maintenance uh definitely makes life a lot lot safer
1: yeah, and I think I think kind of on the the previous point we were on as well too, when we were talking about you know proper planning and things like that. I think this also comes into play when we when we talk about COVID and and the supply chain. You know, if we're going from one project to the next, or we know that we're so far out from getting uh, concrete or getting the forms, getting getting the materials that we need, um, it's essentially and well, it forces us to plan better right? Because we need to know kind of as that podcast we had, Joe, we brought up a a few podcasts ago with Renee, you know, uh, during that construction process, there was what he said, 3% of the construction site is actually active at one point in time. If we can start using this and even analyzing, okay, we have to bring in the form work and then going back to uh, safety with scaffolding, but not only That just with COVID, how many people we can have on the site at one time, you know, minimizing the amount of people that we have, but maximizing the amount of effort or the amount of production that we can put in
0: is a very important piece of our process as well. Making sure that formwork and scaffolding would be a very cool variable to add into um, that uh, piece of AI. That's pretty cool. Yeah, dude. I mean, if you
1: think about it, I mean, just you have to have people out there, you know, putting the formwork in, getting ready for the pour, but timing that process, right? Knowing when you can have that formwork on site, knowing who you need to have on site because it's there, planning on when they're going to come out to pour, planning when we can take it out, move it to the next site or what have you. That's a very, very big part of our process, especially when we're looking at the delivery and trying to stay on time with our project schedule.
2: Absolutely. I totally agree. And then, of course, like, what would be the interesting part as well would be the, the the retro perspective. So having a kind of a feedback loop that we are having a design uh, of let's put, let's uh, stay with the context of formwork, and then um, checking on the site does the design really work? Does our cycle planning really work? And then having the feedback loop that we know in in the next case we have to watch out. Uh, maybe we we're too ambitious in our cycle planning or stuff like that. So I think this is totally something that is missing right now in the current industry environment is that feedback loop that is coming from like a planning for the execution. In the execution, there are always some uh, corrections also in other crafts. And then, um, but the, the planning team never knows uh, what really was executed or in many cases don't not doesn't know it.
1: Yes, yes, sir. And then knowing, like, I mean, in general, when we start getting into you know, generative construction, things like that, but planning and phasing, knowing like what pieces are out there, knowing <clears throat> what we have on that site, what we need in terms of, you know, which formwork, what type of formwork. And then, of course, as we're going through to our next projects, as you said, that feedback loop is huge. It's learning. We got to continuously learn from what we're doing and see how we can do things better. So establishing that feedback loop is really, really important, uh, especially as we, you know, you continue to do more business, you want to do more projects. And if it's a complex, obviously every project is different, but every one of them give you something to learn from, a way to do things better. And I mean, that's how we're seeing a lot of our industry leaders out there today. That's what they've done, right? They They needed to establish those feedback loops They've figured out the planning process, how they can maximize their time on site, whether it's the materials, it's personnel, and then what they can do moving forward to keep bettering that.
2: Yeah, I I, I mean, it it needs to be cross-project learning. It needs to be cross-organizational learning, in my opinion. And Mm -hmm. this is what BIM enables us to.
1: Definitely, definitely. Heck yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so many ways that we can utilize this data. You know, I I tend to think on the construction side, like just in the project, moving project to project, but you're completely right. In learning as an organization, not just, you know, for pushing projects out faster, but to improve your knowledge base in the way that your company can deliver projects. You know, if you're working with, with forms or scaffolding, there's always things that we can do better, ways that we can improve what we're offering and what we're doing. So if you can help educate your employees to understand okay we're gonna we're gonna the way that we time things or the way that we design things we do them for this reason and as you go further and further project to project you know further enabling your employees to essentially come together and deliver a better
0: product faster hey um not to steer the conversation into a different direction here but i'm a little more curious about this i just uh my research to you on on uh, on on BIM Square. This didn't come up, but I I did a research on, on your name specifically, Hannes. And uh, are you doing an AU talk by by any chance, an Autodesk University industry talk?
2: Um, no, I don't.
3: Uh, I wanted to do one. Um, but I mean, the concept of the uh, Autodesk University talk uh, did quite change. Uh, during the years, or because also of COVID, so we, because we had all of these uh, decentralized uh, Autodesk universities. so we had one in Darmstadt, for instance, which is more uh, associated, of course, with the German market, and we have then the, the one in Las Vegas and, and all of the others, and right now they were all shifted to online, so... Um, I, I'm not doing the, this uh, this university uh, talk, oh, okay. unfortunately. I'm saying Maybe maybe next year or at some point. But uh, well, not, I not think back here.
0: not to you know spill the beans or anything. But I think next year might actually be in person and in Nashville, Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken. I don't we'll wait for Autodesk to officially announce it, but I, I believe that's uh, where everybody was leaning uh, here in the United States, at least. Uh, the reason why I brought it up is um, I on Autodesk in Autodesk system it must be um, a submission you had submitted for a topic to present, but it was uh, towards BIM-driven formwork integration automation. It doesn't say the year or anything like that, so I didn't know if this was for this year or something in the past or not, but it gave a session description and uh, some learning objectives.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was actually for for the COVID year, unfortunately. So I, I hope we really come over it because, I think also the Autodesk University is missing something if it's only purely remotely, if we're just having video calls and webinars. I think it's great. I mean, there are always great webinars on it. But uh, of course, it's only the one side of it. The other side are, are all the quick talks uh, with a beer that you're having uh, uh, after the sessions or um, well, yeah, between net- the sessions. So
0: Networking is where the real conversations have. The the presentations are, in my mind, you know, there's some cool stuff. A lot of it's fluff. It's, uh, you know, a lot of great talks and, you know, captivate you, get your attention. But uh, once, you know, once the attention's gotten, what happens? It wanes, or excitement wanes. It really builds off of the the networking that comes out of it, the little micro events. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of in-person. Dave and I have done, I don't know how many webinar presentations over the past two years. And. Uh, It's it's enough to make my head explode, and now we're at the point where it's like, all right, it's got to be in person. So Dave and I are actually traveling around the United States. Um, We just did our first one last week. Uh, We're doing all these uh, 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 BIM, scan to BIM, kind of like uh, BIM workflow presentations at various uh, uh, pubs around the country where we're talking about, like, uh, scanning and, uh, you know, model creation out of the scan, getting into BIM with Revit, uh, plugging in some information and, uh, sharing that information through the cloud and visualizing scans and a lot of like cool automation stuff. Um, but like, really it's, it's all in person for us. Like the remote stuff's great because it's a stopgap, but, uh, being able to shake somebody's hand, drink a beer and have a conversation, um, is, is, is a whole nother, you know, it adds a human element to it.
3: Absolutely yes. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. I, I thought it's great. Everyone would work remotely forever when COVID started, um, because I think it's just saving time. But uh, yeah, after a half year or now, we are even like two years uh, with this pandemic. I think everyone is tired of it and just want to go out and meet people in person again.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, so I lived in uh, Portland, Oregon. I drive an hour to work every day and an hour to home, and I complained about my drive. And then I relocated across the country and I worked uh, worked remotely. Um, I have an office here, but I work remotely. And uh, I was like, "Oh, working remotely is great. I'll never go back to the office." And then COVID happened uh, shortly thereafter, and everybody was working remotely. Suddenly, I felt less special. It was harder to get a hold of <laughs>
3: <you>. <laughs> the
0: people that 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 wanted to, uh, you know, were, were eager to get a hold of you and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it was all remote meetings and they wanted to meet constantly and just talk because they were, you know, trapped in their basement with their kids upstairs, that sort of stuff. Um, and, and it felt like the remote meetings were a good stopgap and maybe not as productive. But I tell you what, they're they're building me a new office uh, here, and I am so excited to get back into an office. I've I've got this beautiful home office that I'm ready to give up. Like, I just, I'm over it. Like, get me, get me, uh, get me into an office and let me have some water cooler talk or something.
3: <laughs> yeah, sounds yes, awesome. I feel the same. I had the same, uh, the, the same drive and yes, yeah, so looking forward yeah. to
0: go
1: out go again. Yeah, Good heck people. yeah. I've been waiting for these in person conferences to come back and trying to get more in person classes just to get that human kind of, you know, uh, conversation going that just being able to see someone. And if you're, you know, for me, I teach a lot of times. That's what I do. I teach Revit, you know, BIM 360, scanning, all that kind of stuff. And for me, it's valuable to be able to see the people that I'm teaching, to talk to them, to have those conversations and, and, you know, it, it
0: it not only helps well, reactions you learn, and feedback, man. Oh, yeah. You need, you need feedback. We were talking about feedback loops earlier. There's no better feedback loop than reading somebody's body language and having them ask questions. Like that is the ultimate feedback loop.
1: Yeah, dude, honestly. And for me, I find that it's it's beneficial not only for them, but for me as well as the instructor, with questions that I can ask, I can learn more from them. And that not only helps me within that training session to, you know, let's say fine tune it to them or customize it to them. It also helps me learn as I keep going, you know, for other uh, other classes that I may do with someone in the same discipline. But in general, it helps me become a better instructor because then I learn from my students, which is always important. That's what we need in this industry is to just keep learning. I know this uh, back when I was a a paper engineer um, uh, with, with, Pratt Industries, uh, there was this guy named Jim, and he, it's its funny, but it's one of those things somebody says, and that sticks with you, and he said, uh, the day that you stop learning is the day that the world passes you by, you know, if we don't continue to learn and move forward and keep bettering the things that we do, everything else is going to pass you by, and you're just going to become inept, you just, you, it would it, it's old at that point, so I feel like thats that's a huge piece to it, too, we have to, we have to keep learning. Gotta keep learning. But Hans, thank you so much for your time, man. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, I did want to ask you another question. I li- I'd like to ask some some of our our guests here. Um, as you you know, you're you're pretty involved with the BIM world and and seeing what things are coming out, what things have been. Um, what gets you most excited for like what what new stuff? I guess, coming out gets you excited about BIM or what are, what are you seeing out there that uh, can be very beneficial? Maybe it's not being used completely or a lot nowadays, or maybe it is. What? What is something out there in BIM that would excite you?
3: Um, well, th- the first thing that I notice is uh, that we're really having an a aggregating speed of innovation regarding BIM. So... Um, I always think people think uh, often think it's linear and 5 years ago uh, we were talking about BIM and now it's not there but I really noticed that it's like really um getting fast now and that innovation regarding BIM is getting fast and I'm personally uh, the most excited um about the whole topic that is connected with the sustainability because I think this is our next very very big topic and we as um Part of the real estate industry um, and uh, part of the construction industry have like a massive CO2 footprint and there are technologies that solve it and also like automation can uh, deliver like c- uh, circular planning of holistic resources that are reused like from building to the next building and I think um, this topic will be massive Uh, within the next years and also like the uh, EU government and the German government released uh, emission laws. So um, I think this will be the next very, very big topic in the next spot where we'll see the uh, very intense
2: innovation curves.
0: Yeah, curbing carbon footprint is is a huge global initiative. Uh, I think it's only going to take one one country, such as Germany, to um, lock on for for the rest of it to to take off. There's so much money in construction technology now, which might be fueling a lot of the the adoption and chaos and all the stuff that's out there. But it's just it's so exciting. Like it's so fast paced. There's something new that comes out of you know a new problem that maybe you didn't really recognize or maybe wasn't brought to your attention that somebody else is trying to solve with with a piece of technology or automation. And uh, I'm 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 so excited. I'm I'm uh, I love technology. I love toys. Uh since I get most of my applications for free, I'm excited, or at least I don't have to pay for them. Somebody else does. I'm 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 even more excited to play with them.
1: All right. Well, Hans, thank you again so much for coming on. Uh thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of Brewing with Bim. Um it, we, you know, just like Hans here, we love having people on to talk about the differences. Or the different ways i guess that bim can be used as we say bim is more than models again shout out to johan but there's so much that can go into this in so many different ways that we can benefit from using bim and uh yeah i just want to thank everyone for joining us and we look forward to having you next time
2: thank you everyone thank you uh, both of you for this uh, great talk i enjoyed it i learned a lot We'll